Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Thank you so much to Audible for sponsoring today's episode. For those of you who don't know, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, business motivation, and also podcasts. They've recently launched their newest plan called Audible Plus. With Audible Plus, you get full access to their Plus catalog filled with thousands of select originals, audiobooks, and podcasts, and connects you to just amazing content. The best time to try it is now with their holiday offer, because for only $4.95, a month for your first six months. This is a fantastic deal. And all you have to do to get it is visit audible.com slash Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, or text Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, to 500-500. Again, visit audible.com slash Zibby or text Zibby to 500-500. I love Audible and listen all the time in my car and on walks. I recently finished Searching for Sylvie Lee by Jean Kwok, also Small Animals by Kim Brooks, His Only Wife by Peace Medi and also On All Fronts by Clarissa Ward. So those are four of my recent ones. Um, I hope you'll join me in checking out Audible, audible.com slash Zibby or text Zibby to 500-500. Did I say that enough times? Matthew Bocci is the author of Sway. Matt began speaking in front of high school audiences throughout the tri-state area, delivering a message that embodies hope, resilience, and inspiration. The awestruck reception led him to write his debut memoir, Sway, which is the first story told by a child of a 9-11 victim. Matt currently resides in New Jersey and is in long-term recovery with plans to continue more writing and speaking in the future. Welcome, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Morning, Zibby, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Your book was so good. I loved it. I could not put it down. I read all the way to the end, every word. Like It was like, don't even talk to me, you know, like when I was reading it. <laughs> anyway, congratulations on writing this beautiful memoir. Thank you. Can you please tell listeners what Sway is about? So I guess the, the quick synopsis and the easiest way to put it, I mean, in terms of themes and messages. I think that my story encapsulates resilience, inspiration, hope. But my story is really, it, it starts off as a 9-11 story, but it shifts drastically. My dad worked at Kennifer Sheldon on the 105th floor of the North Tower and, and passed away on 9-11. And the reason why I think 9-11 is such an integral part of the story is because it's the catalyst to everything else that happened in my life. And not only that, but it's really when my life changed. And a lot of our, all of our lives really changed. But for someone who was personally affected by it, it had a really long lasting effect on me. And so the early years after 9-11, I spent trying to figure out how my dad died. And, and hearing what I was told from family wasn't enough and didn't, it didn't suffice for me. I wanted to have every single minute and second of those last moments outlined and, and figured out. And I really wasn't going to stop until I got, got to that point. 
And so as the years went on, I was really, really direct and poignant with my questions. I I had like facts and data and research to back up all the things that I was asking. And this like inquisitiveness really was what was my downfall, my initial downfall that led to me being sexually abused by an uncle through marriage. And as that transpired, the feelings that I started to accumulate of guilt and shame and embarrassment was a big one. All those feelings led me to start using drugs and alcohol as a way to cope with my feelings and emotions. And so I went down a path of drug addiction for many years. And, and by the grace of God, I was able to pull myself out of it. And, and I've maintained my sobriety since. But my story, you know, it, it's a continual downfall as, as it progresses. But of course, there's a happy ending and there's a rising at the end. Wow. As I was reading it, just one thing after another, I wanted to like reach out and hug you and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. And now this is happening. And, and yet you kept... You like, I mean, I guess you just keep on keeping on. That's like what you have to do, but like you just did it and you kept, I don't know, your resilience is amazing, I guess is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Can we talk first about 9-11? Because you're one of the first people, if not the very first person to write a memoir as from the experience of a child of someone who had died that day. And I, my best friend actually also worked in the North North Tower and roommate. And it's so crazy for me to think that like just a few floors up, your dad was there and my friend was there and what happened that day. And like you, you know, your sort of obsession with, or what you later called an addiction to sort of watching Mm -hmm. the footage religiously almost is something I shared at the beginning, just watching all of the jumpers as so many people probably did to see if they could spy their loved one in the, what were they wearing? What was, you know, and that's such a unique sort of phenomenon to this event, I feel like, right? And that need to understand what happened. So tell me a little more about your compulsion to research and and that need you had to understand the end and like why it was so, why it felt so important to you to know. I think if you look at 9-11 itself from like a third person, third party point of view, and you just especially someone who grew up in the tri-state area, people who knew the World Trade Center, to be witnessing what was going on with obviously the planes, but then watching people voluntarily jump to their deaths as a way out, as a way to not have to deal with what was going on inside. It was so baffling and perplexing to me that I just, I, I was amazed by it. And so I guess, you know, on some sort of philosophical level, I think I was looking for myself in also trying to figure out my dad's story. I think that I kind of, I was the oldest, I am the oldest of four boys, but being a nine-year-old kid at the time, I think that there was just this, a need to figure out who I would become as a person in a sense too. And really by watching these moments, these last moments and trying to figure out my dad's story, I was trying to figure out who he was as a person. Although you can't figure that out in, in someone's final moments and something so tragic and horrible as, as what was going on in there. But I guess I was extremely naive and I, and I thought I could. And I think that, I guess, what I started to realize through time and, and watching certain documentaries was people, they at least claimed that they were getting some sort of closure by finding out, okay, my loved one, good chance my loved one was a jumper. I mean, this picture pretty much looks like them. They knew. They had their answers and that was that. So for me, I thought maybe I would have my closure and my peace and know okay, my dad made a few phone calls after the plane hit and then he realized there wasn't a way out and that was that. But I didn't have that. So I held on to that. I held on to the belief that maybe 
you know, he was able to figure out something. Maybe he, it wasn't so bad for him in there. And, and so, and just as I continue to watch those videos and stuff and look at the pictures, just seeing the tragedy unfold. I mean, it's just a horrible thing to witness, obviously. But knowing that my dad was in there and those, that's where he spent his final moments, it just really overwhelmed me to a degree. And I'm at a point now where I, I know the answers. I know what I'm going to know and what I will forever know. I also know that I will not be able to find out every little detail. And that is something I'm okay with today. But it took me a long time to get to that point to really be at peace, so to speak. Wow. I mean, the intensity of the search and all of the ways that you wrote about it were just so moving. And even how you described the fact that he was able to call and that you do have a record. So you knew, so you knew that he knew. And then as all these details emerged, how you kind of had to make sense of that yourself. I mean, yeah. And I, and I think too, he really did know. And that's the thing that's fascinating to me too, is the fact that he called two minutes after the plane hit. And I think that there was already an uncertain, a level of uncertainty inside the tower as I, I, I have a feeling that things got bad pretty quickly just given the fact that he kind of faced that head on and it would only get worse, obviously as time would progress. But so also like hearing that too, from my family, like I didn't get to witness that myself. I didn't get to go through that myself. I didn't get to speak to him. So I wanted something for myself. I wanted something greater that I could hold on to that I could cherish. And, you know, like there's so many like positive stories too, right? There's like good Samaritan stories of like, you know, like the, the, the guy with the red bandana and, and stories such like that, where there's a happy ending for the family. And so I was so determined to find that happy ending story, even though my dad didn't make it out, maybe he did something miraculous or heroic before he passed, you know? And, and that was something I was like really trying to figure out and, and search for. And all it did was, was bring up more anger and sadness and confusion and also for you, exposing yourself at such a young age to that graphic, awful, violent, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just disturbing imagery. Yeah. That is a lot for anybody to take on. I mean, that yeah. in and of itself, it's like watching a, a trillion like R-rated movies at the wrong age, like over and over, like the trauma of that. I mean, how do you and, even and, get over that part? And, and, and it's real life. And that's the thing that's like, you go into Manhattan and like, you know, like I'm 28 years old. I have a lot of friends who live in Manhattan and you go in there and you look at the skyscrapers, right? And like, even like the sky, skyscrapers that are 40 stories high, like that are not like big, big buildings, right? That don't like overcome the skyline. And you realize that the World Trade Center was nearly triple that. And, and that's what people were watching, right? People on the outside were watching that. So you know, 28 years old now, I've had friends who finished my book and they told me, you know, look, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I actually started looking at some of that stuff. I was curious after reading what you said and wrote and how you wrote it, I was curious to see it for myself. Hmm. And I don't know what degree they looked at it, obviously, but I didn't really ask. But I think for so many people, it was so easy to try to forget back then, especially around my age. Like I was obviously relatively young. So for people to like myself to be doing what I was doing and, and searching what I was searching. And it got to a point where it was completely voluntary and, and I wanted to, to try to find something. I think that people realize how almost like, just like heartbreaking my story, my story is or what I went through as a child, because many of my friends who also lost their dads in 9-11 did not go through that. They didn't, they didn't want to know. They didn't want to look at that. 
or maybe they just accepted it for what it was worth. You know, their dad died and he's not coming back and that's that. But for me, I just, I wanted something more. And I, that's just like the story of my life. You know, I've, I've, nothing was ever enough for me. You know, it's like, I always, always, always wanted something greater. Even with like writing my book, it was like, I can't even tell you the amount of rewrites I've done. Now the book's in hardcover out for everyone to read. And I'm, I'm, I haven't even read it back to back yet. Cause I like, I've read it on like the PDF and stuff, but if I read that book, like I opened up to the epilogue and I'm like searching through it and I'm finding words that I would change. Like, this is like what I do. I, I over critique myself. And I mean, I'm just trying to like grow as a writer, but you know, I look for things that I wish I wrote differently or maybe had a different change on a certain way, like kind of express something, you know, there's certain things that I wish I did differently. I mean, I guess I could for the paperback, but <laughs> <laughs> there's always the paperback. Yeah. I want to talk about your writing, but I just like one story, which will probably make me sound crazy. So I had always believed that my friend Stacy had died instantly because the plane hit right at her floor. So and she, her mom said the phone rang once right at that time. And Stacy always used to get to her desk and call her mom. And so our belief collectively was that she had gotten to the office, sat down, started to call her mother, the plane hit, and she died instantly. So that's sort of like our theory because nothing ever turned up. But Thanks. then I saw, I had a session with this medium. <laughs> This sounds so hokey, but until this session, I didn't really believe in mediums, but she uncovered, said all this stuff about other people that I just thought there was no way. Anyway, she yeah. told mm -hmm. me that that is not what happened to Stacy, and that she heard a loud explosion. So she must've been elsewhere in the building and that she was with a nice older man and that she, the two of them were trying to find their way out. And then it happened. So I don't know if I believe that or not, but I don't know. So either, she was trying to find her way out and then the building collapsed. Yeah. Or something or yeah. So I don't know. The thing is about these things, we'll never know, but now I have like two theories in my head. So, you know, I, I with mediums, I've had one experience with them. Actually, I take that back. My mom has had one experience or at least that I know of. I never have. I did a psychic. It wasn't the same. Those I don't maybe degree, believe in to a certain degree. You know, if, if, if I really believed in that, my book would have been a bestseller three years ago. So, <laughs> but my mom had an experience with the medium that was, you know, she said, she said what you just voiced, that there was no way of knowing some of these things. And I've been kind of curious myself to, to maybe to check that out and, and see. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's like one of those things where it's like, do you believe it? Do you want to believe it? Oh, I know. I know. I don't know. It gave me some sort of sense of peace. I think I think it's like hearing yeah. it from someone else, right? Yeah. Like, oh no, I know what happened, but she's okay now, and you know, yeah. She, you yeah. Know. Anyway, whatever. Anyway, let's go back to your writing of this book okay, sure. <laughs> because the writing itself is amazing, and you didn't, as some memoirs say, you know, along the way they might say that how much they loved writing or something. So I didn't get anywhere in here that you had turned to writing as like a coping technique at all. I mean, the drugs and all the other stuff you did were very spelled out. So I was wondering like, when did the writing start and have you always loved to write? And I just, it just didn't come through in the text. And how did you do this? Because it's the crafting of it is exceptional. It's really all of it. The time, the way you go back and forth in time, the language, the immediacy. Anyway, tell me, tell me about that part. Well, first of all, thank you for, for that because I, like I said, critique my writing and I'm 
really overly critical too. And and then I think I do like probably like what authors and writers should not do one-on-one is read people's reviews of your book. And a lot of people, not a lot of people. Okay. So like, this is where like, I, I, I focus on the minority, right? That's what the way it always goes. I have a lot of good reviews and then I have like a couple reviews that have said where I either skipped out on parts or maybe like fast forwarded through parts or something. So I think I, so I, I briefly mentioned it towards the end about how I used to journal as a kid. I'm not sure if you remember that part. So what it came down to was my, my mom's brother is a music journalist and he gave me my first journal when I was 10 years old and he wrote a little note on Christmas morning and he said, you know, just write in this whenever he's like, I've gone through hundreds of these journals in my life write whatever comes to your mind and, you know, don't overthink it. And so in the beginning I did that, you know, I, I, I wrote whatever I, whatever came to my mind, I wrote, then I started treating it sort of like homework. And I kind of strayed away from it. Cause I didn't really like that. It was like, I would come home from, I would go to bed and write like, Oh, you know, school was good. There was nothing deeper. So I was talking about this actually one of my friends from Villanova in college, my biggest regret, one of my biggest regrets in college is that I didn't pursue creative writing the way I should have, or writing in general. And I didn't pursue my goals and dreams because I was so, obviously I was going through addiction, but I think I was fixated on on filling the story or continuing the story that people wanted for me, which was, you know, going to finance or whatever. So when I got sober, I started speaking at schools. And as time went on in my speaking, it was, I started off as the basic 9-11 story into drugs, now recovery. Well, then I started going a little bit deeper. And then when I got deeper and I talked about the abuse and then, you know, my obsession with my dad's death and all that stuff, people were really blown away by that and said to me, you should write a book. And, and so for me, the journaling started to continue in sobriety. I shouldn't say started to continue. It, it reemerged in sobriety. So I started writing just like basic things, you know, it was just like whatever was coming to my mind and just like pain, like just like the pain, physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain all the things I was feeling. And then in 2016, I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. And it was like the end, tail end of 2016. And I started writing Sway. And the way I did it initially was I didn't even have a laptop at the time. Like I had like not like nothing. So I borrowed my brother's laptop and I started dating stories. And I still have that original document. I started dating the story and it would be like, it was like December, 2014. And then I would just write out the story. And then I finished that. I finished about 50,000 words in like three months. And then I went to an editor. He's like, yeah, I think you need to like do this, do this. We worked on it. I wrote another 30 or 40,000 words, but then cut out like 15, finished the first draft in 2017 and then started pitching it to agents and nothing was happening. And then I started rewriting it. And that's where like, I think I started to find my voice big time because I really had to get vulnerable. There was a lot of things that weren't there in the beginning. I didn't, I didn't leave it as it was very surface level. And then, so I got really deep and basically just said my whole entire story in detail in graphic detail. And I think that's what people are, I guess, amazed by is, is the honesty, especially as a male heterosexual male, like saying some of the things that I said that I admitted to happening, you know, like mo- most people don't want to talk about that stuff. And so I think that's sort of that vulnerability was important for me in order to grow as a person too. So then uh, I can just, I continued rewriting stuff. Like, I mean, the ending, the first ending that I had was not well-rounded. What I ended up doing was it's, it was strictly chronological in the beginning. 
And I didn't want that. I wanted something, I was viewing it almost as a movie and I wanted it to be a little creative. Like I wanted parts to move around. And so that's when I started moving, I started moving segments around. I had to find the right spots for them. And I finally had like these clicking moments where it was like, all right, here it is. And then like, for instance, like the car, my dad's car. Oh, oh my gosh. That, that scene with my uncle going to get the car was initially like way in the beginning. I changed that to move it to the end and then finish the story with us driving the car. So as time went on, I found my voice, you know, I did. And now I, I write every day and I'm focusing. I think one of the, the issues that I ran into, not issues, but sort of like a dilemma was I was writing the way I write now for my nine-year-old voice. So as like, I had to go back in time to not reflect. It had to be like in the moment, like what were you feeling in the moment? And for me to remember some of those details was really, really hard, but I had to put myself back there to do that. And same thing with like 14 year old. Cause it was like, I know what I look at, look back at now and, and how I reflect on these moments. I can't have the, that can't be laid out for the reader, right? It has to be in the moment and as my, as it progresses. So what's, I guess a beautiful thing now is that I can write now, like this is like, I'm 28 years old. This is my writing now. And it's a little bit slower with like dragging out, imagery a little bit more. And that's like, I'm trying to like really slow it down for a reader, you know, like every little deep, like the cardigan and like, you know, like describing the cardigan, like things like that. And whereas I felt at times I had to kind of condense certain things, you know, certain parts of the story where maybe I would like to have expanded a little bit more or gone into a lot more detail. I get to a point too, as you know, with, with the editing process where is it really, does it need to be there? You know, is it, is it really going to move the reader one way or the other? So I, I'll be honest with you as a kid and, and as time went on, did I envision myself to be writing? Absolutely not. And there's like days that I don't want to do it, of course, right? There's days that it feels like a job in that, in that sense. But then there's days where, you know, like a day like today, a muggy day where all I want to do is read and write. So, you know, it has its, its perks and benefits sometimes. I literally like posted a picture yesterday of me like yeah. reading a book and because it's like so disgusting outside I'm like yeah. that is all I want to do that is not what yeah. I am doing but like reading yeah. writing cozy like mm-hmm. maybe under the covers yes. oh my gosh that yes. would be like a dream day but anyway that's one of the perks of, of writing I guess you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so are you working on another big project or you what are you up to so there's a couple things. Uh, I was approached by a couple of screenwriters about adapting it to a movie. I would like to have some sort of say in the writing process for that. So there's been discussions of that. That's sort of where I'm going. But the thing is, writing a memoir versus a screenplay, it's a totally different type of writing. So I'm a little hesitant in a way. I want to put you know, both feet into that fully. The thing with my story is, I knew this going into it, I could have split it up into three books, essentially. I, I didn't want to do that at the end because what I felt was, especially 9-11 and the drug abuse, or excuse me, the sexual abuse, led into everything else that I did. I don't blame them and I don't use them as reasons for doing what I did. I know I have an addictive personality and it's just who I am as a person. But I felt that it would be remiss if I didn't include it all because these all played into each other and it was just a domino effect. And so that was like, people were saying, well, maybe you should split it up. Maybe you should split it up. Like, I didn't want just a story of, of me, 9-11 and all that. Like, I wanted it to be different. And I think it certainly is. But now, you know, it's been where the book ends versus where I am today is about four years. Besides the, besides the epilogue where I 
fill the readers in on where I am. Where it ends was four years ago. So I have four years of in sobriety struggles and other things that I went through. And I'm debating about sort of taking like an Augustine Burroughs type of spin on it, you know, and like kind of continuing and then maybe in continuing the story, I can also really touch back on things from my childhood that are not in sway where it's not going to be repetitive. And obviously there's like a, there has to be a creative and like artistic approach to do that. I don't want it to be repetitive, but I think that there's a lot of stuff that has transpired in the last four years that people who were really into my story and, and wanted to know more about where I am today and all that stuff will definitely, I think they'll find it maybe some, somewhat satisfying and see a little bit more growth in, in the last four years. I also really wanted the continuation of how everything that happened towards the end affected your family. You had like one sentence about it, like this destroyed my family or whatever. So I was like, wait, what? Like I, what happened? And, and that's know. the big thing. Yeah. So, you know, with the way I had, it, it was really tough because I could have continued writing and writing and writing. No, you ended at a good place. I'm just yeah. saying now, you know, talking exactly. to you, but I don't want you to give away the ending to other people, but well, yeah. So but to answer your question, yes, there, there's a lot that I could fill in for that. And there was a lot of things that we could take it offline, but there's a lot <laughs> of things that happened that I think I could tie, tie back creatively to when it happened originally and like some of the feelings that came. So, so, so you are definitely never going back to finance. Is that, is that it? That, like- unless they, you know, some place wants to pay me some great money to sit on a board and do nothing. I mean, look, I, I said this about two and a half years ago, I was working at the company my dad would be working at now if he was still alive. And I was there for about four months. And then I didn't pass one of my serial exams, financial serial exams. And I was presented with the opportunity to leave or basically drive myself to insanity by staying there. And I was like, all right, I'm leaving. And so back then I was like, all right, I'm going to take my dad's death and the feelings that he had leading into his job and like that day of wanting to quit and not having the chance to do it and finding his true passion in life, I'm going to do that. And I didn't do it. Now, after finally getting the story out there, you know, the publication's there, it's out, you know, everyone can read it. A couple of my dad's colleagues reached out to me and one of which was in the book, I changed his name, but he's in the book. Peter is his name in the book. And he said to me, you know, he's very proud of me. And he's like, your dad would be very proud of you, but your dad would be really proud of the fact that you're not trying to go down this road. Cause he, he's still in finance and he was, trying to get me to come work for him. Mm -hmm. And this was like recently, this was like right before COVID. So he was like, he's like, I'm not going to even like offer you a job. If you even like, if you beg, like, he's like, you gotta, he's like, you're good at this. You should pursue this. Mm -hmm. This is what, what is your path? And I think I found my path. So I'm sticking with this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with it. Good for you. I mean, that's the best ending to any story is finding your purpose in life. Right. Yep. And I think, you know, the only perk perhaps of 9-11 is that it caused so many people to switch gears, right? And say like, this is important to me. Life is short, mm-hmm. right? This is what I'm going to do. Sure. So it just yeah. took you a little bit longer maybe. <laughs> but one question I just have to ask is, yeah. and I know we're up to time, but I want to know how your your brothers and your mom are doing and how they felt with the, the book coming out. Okay. So they're all doing well. My mom, as time went on, she... I gave, I would start to give her, I print out old fashioned, print out a chapter at a time. She got to chapter five or six around the time where the abuse starts. And we had to put it on pause for a little bit. And then when I got my complimentary copies from the publisher, she was like, you know, I got them about, about a month or so prior to it coming out. And she, I was like, all right, like, here's your book. And she's like, all right. 
I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. She didn't know what to do. And then she, she got to her own answer of you lived it. I can read it. And, and she read it. And my mom is not a quick reader, but she breezed through it and she loved it. And there was a lot of difficult, it's difficult for her to read. Obviously my brothers were, they're very proud of me. They're very, very, very proud of me for, for getting my story out there and, and being diligent with it and determined and persistent to get it done and get it out. To my knowledge, I don't know if they've read it yet in full. It's hard for them. It's, it's hard for them because they didn't have the same effect with 9-11 that I did. They didn't go through the other things that I went through, but they know about it. But to read it on paper, I think makes it a little bit more real. And certainly is the same for a lot of my family too. You know, my mom and dad, both, both sides of my family, for them to read it just makes it more real. You know, to, you're, you're, this is not some random author. This is not some fiction piece. This is, you know, their nephew or their, you know, grandson, whatever. So it makes it a lot, I think in some, some ways it makes it a lot harder to swallow too, because it's just, you know, how crazy that this all happened under everyone's eyes. No one was expecting that, but they were, you know, it was really cool for them seeing me on TV and stuff. And like, you know, I hit a couple of my, my brother's favorite spots. So he was really happy about that, but it was just important. I think to, to finally like get to like to be upfront and, and address this and be okay with who I am, you know, to say that on national TV is like my mom, my mom was saying to me during like the release, that was, that was the one thing that they were asking me a lot about was like, you know, how are you feeling? Like, how are you doing? Like, and it's just so surreal as you're going through it, that it, it just almost doesn't feel real. And it's like, holy, it's like four years ago, I was writing this book. I had no I was thinking at first, I'm like, okay, I'm going to write it. I'll get an agent in probably like three months, maybe, maybe a month. Like I'll reach out to like 10 agents and one of them is going to grab me. And you know the process. I mean, it's hard. So to think that it, it came, if it actually happened is just, is to me the biggest success that I could have. If it does really well, bestseller list, I, obviously I'll be happy, but that's, that wasn't my, my end goal from day one. And the little messages I'm receiving on like Instagram and stuff like that are, are to me, what I did this for, you know, parents of people, of sons or daughters with addiction, people went through 9-11. That's why I did this, you know, people to be like, thank you for telling your story and that they can get something out of it, you know? I mean, that's like the true gift that you leave, right? It's a true gift. Yeah. Okay. Last question. What is your advice to aspiring authors? Okay. It sounds very cliche, but just don't ever give up. I mean, I, look, I think it was really easy at some points in life in, in the, in the, in the writing life, I was very, not that self-publishing is a sign of failure. It's not, but I was very close to either just saying, I'm not going to get this book out there ever. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to even self-publish it or I'm going to self-publish it. And then like, we'll see what happens. I didn't go the traditional way either. You know, I, I, I don't have an agent right now. I was able to get in contact with my publisher who's a little bit smaller, but, and I, and I, we worked out a great deal and everything that was okay with me. And, you know, definitely had, has, has its perks for sure, but it was not an easy, easy step getting. I mean, the rejection is, I think what adheres a lot of writers and, and, and prevents them from really kind of continuing to pursue it because, you know, you get a couple of rejections from agents and you think, well, my story's not good enough or my writing's not good enough. And it's really hard to hear it, but you have to just keep going and, and you'll find your right fit. Finally, one day you'll find that fit. I mean, I remember there was one time I had an agent who lost their uncle on 9-11 and I'm reading her response. and I'm like, oh my God, this is it. I finally found the one. And then she's like, but it's too close of a story for me. I can't do this. Ugh. You know, so it's like, 
I think that it was really hard for me as someone who has insecurity issues to begin with and, you know, self-confidence and self-esteem issues to get those rejections. And sometimes they're just so like bland that it's like this person, like my story sucks. Like my writing's not good. Like it's very easy to get in your head, but I, you really have to stay persistent and know that, you know, your writing is good in, in whatever way that, you know, someone's going to find something from your story, whether it's nonfiction or fiction. So that, that would be my advice to keep going. Don't give up. Excellent advice. Well, Matt, thank you. It was so nice thank to talk you. to you. Yeah, no, likewise, likewise. Yeah, I had it was so many awesome. more questions, but, <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for this beautiful book, complete with this amazing cover, by the way, which I didn't even yeah. pick up on what this was until like halfway through the book. And I was like, oh. <laughs> anyway, so well done. <laughs> thank you so much. And we'll certainly be in touch and yes, you know, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep you posted. And by the way, thank you. I have to thank you again. For, for nominating my book for the GMA list. Of course. It was it so great. funny when I, when I got, when I found out the connection to that, I was like, oh my God, this is like, I have to reach out to her. I have to try to get on her podcast. No, no. I, I actually had meant to reach out to you and then, you know, things got yeah. crazy. So I'm so yeah. glad that you did. So yeah, I wanted to have you on from when I first got a hold of it. So thank you so much. Okay. All right. Bye. <laughs> okay. Bye, Matt. Thanks for Audible sponsoring this episode. Get your amazing deal, $4.95 for six months, for your first six months for their holiday Audible Plus offer. Go to audible.com slash Zibby or text Zibby to 500-500. Thanks, Audible. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thank you.